Welcome to Fire Headlines, where we cover the hottest topics in fire service news. I'm your host, Samantha Didion, and today I am joined by the panel, Chief Bob Horton and Chief Jeff Buchanan. We also have two special guests joining us today who you might recognize from previous episodes. First is organizational psychologist and longtime friend of the show, Dr. Andrew Holter. Also here with us today is Public Safety Technology Specialist, Kevin Sofin. We're very excited to have you both back on the show this week, as this episode is going to be a little different as we're approaching the new year. We're looking to do a little recap of the fire service in 2023, and our guests are going to speak with us on what we can look forward to in 2024. Let's start this week's discussion with you, Jeff. In your opinion, what was the biggest or most interesting story of 2023 regarding the fire service? Uh, Good morning, Samantha. Great to be here. B.O.B., good to see you, Kevin, Andrew. Always a pleasure. First, there continues to be two ongoing stories. They loom large in the fire service and Unfortunately, we'll continue to loom large as, as we move forward. Those, the first being behavioral, psychological, and emotional health of, of firefighters, first responders, and the uh, incredibly high suicide rate. That's still a huge challenge that we need to address. Uh, in addition to that, the, the physical piece to firefighters, you know, getting, getting more innovative and more committed to firefighter health and safety through uh, cancer screenings, uh, more heart and lung examinations. There's too many firefighters that are dying of cancer and, and heart disease and uh, maladies like that. Yeah, Jeff, I agree. Those have been some hard-hitting topics this year that we expect to be at the forefront of everyone's mind continuing into 2024. Kevin, technology has also been a big topic this year with ChatGPT really taking off as well as virtual reality. Give us some of your insights on the biggest or most interesting story regarding technology in the 2023 fire service. Yeah, firsthand, it was really special to see a few different programs that I was involved with kind of on from the outside, but starting with using VR as a training tool to get sets and reps. And this is something where VR five, six years ago was still kind of looked at as like a toy. People talking about, oh, we'd get this for my kid for Christmas, whatever. And of course, you're seeing more use of these new six degree of freedom headsets, which don't require the base stations, but have all the sensors built in. So the VR tech is now coming down and becoming more accessible. And you're seeing groups like Texas A&M, the Illinois Fire Service Institute that are deploying VR as part of their training curriculum, not necessarily replacing the hands-on stuff, but this is now no longer just kind of talking about it pie in the sky, but VR actually getting real sets and reps, training real firefighters to help train on those high-risk, low-frequency events. So that was one thing that was really special to see. Another was uh, NIST had a couple cool programs from the Commanding Tech Challenge where we talk a lot about data. There's a lot of these data creators. Commanding Tech looked at how can we take all of this data and visualize it in different AR and VR and 2D screen methods. And um, I I saw a lot of this firsthand at, at the phase five first challenge, which is on indoor localization. But the Commanding Tech was looking at AR and VR from an incident command standpoint of when you're during an event, 
first responders only have so much cognitive bandwidth and too much data is data overload. And frankly, data by itself is, is worthless. The Commanding Tech Challenge really looked at how can we take this data and visualize it in a new way. And now it's being deployed and being used by first responders around the country. And then one of the other really cool programs from NIST that was happening was the, the Indoor Localization Challenge, Z-Axis Tech. A lot of times people in the past 10 years thought this is the holy grail, but frankly, there's been some apathy and annoyance and just reluctance with this idea of Z-Axis, but now it's no longer a pie in the sky. It's tested and it works. With a 5G first net connected world, we're able to create data indoor in different ways and get it out to be able to properly localize and create a dot on map that works. So I love being around the big brains here at this table. You have some big thinkers really evaluating the 2023 lens. My takeaway, Samantha, for biggest story is this reimagination of Enfers. That got me most excited about the progress we are going to look at data collection. Because I agree with Kevin, data on its surface, it can be useless if not to inappropriate ends. But what we do know, speaking of useless data, is Enfers isn't given us anything in my career, 25 years. That's that's probably not fair to Enfers. I'm sure there was something useful that came out of it. But my point is, is not good enough for what data uh, collection is available to us as a as an industry versus what we're utilizing. So the fact that we're on this effort to change that to something new and it's uncertain to me well, you know how much better it's going to be but I I I am confident it will be better. I'm confident that it will be better and we're going to be utilizing new systems to be able to collect information and data and and use that to inform decisions in the future. Um biggest story for me 2023 is the Neris project. Hey, Bob, can you explain a little bit more about that project, at least for me and maybe for some of our listeners who aren't as familiar? The U.S. Fire Administrator, Dr. Lori Moore-Merrill, on the top of her agenda you know, really was we have to reimagine ENFERS, the National Fire Incident Reporting System. This is how firefighters are entering data into the system on the get to the back end of a call. They come off of it. They're entering data. For example, there are, there are organizations that are still having to type, you know, what address did you, did you go to? The address was available from seven different data sources uh, and it's not integrating into the reporting systems, not necessarily doing it. And the firefighters are having to enter all this data and that's just time on task and and creates frustration. Uh, I challenge you to find a firefighter that doesn't know the easiest path from beginning to end on any code in the Enfer system, which ones are going to, if I, if I click this one uh, over this one, I'm going to get six more red boxes and six more red boxes means I have to enter more data before I can click complete. In my experience, leadership says, finish your reports. Very rarely do they say finish the reports correctly. Right. And so how do we make that easier? And I'm not blaming the firefighters uh, for this. I'm blaming leadership for failure to advance our technologies, you know, in, in a way that's meaningful. So what's going on, Samantha, is the U.S. Fire Administrator recognizes this is a problem. System is, is antiquated. It's not working. The data firefighters are entering is not useful because there are these this friction in the system that's sort of forcing a behavior that is not what, what it is that we're looking for. And I bet Andrew can explain a little bit more of the nuance of what's going on than I can. And She's looking to change it. And so she and that's hard. Moving the the federal government machine is incredibly difficult. So the fact that uh, she's been able to get any momentum on here, I think, is a nod to her leadership. And we can expect we're going to see a system that is more user friendly uh, at the firefighter level. And it's intended to pull existing data sets that are that are already out there to auto populate portions of a report 
So we don't have to duplicate entry. Firefighters don't have to duplicate entry into a system on information that is already known. What was the weather at the time that this fire happened? We know that. The weather service knows that. You're at your phone. Everything your phone knows should auto-populate into, into a report. I think that's kind of the simplest way I could explain. Okay, now we're on the same page. Thank you for explaining that. Speaking on technology, in episode 33 with Kevin, we talked about integrating technology into the fire service. And we kind of talked about breaking bread with some of the firefighters and warming them up to the idea of technology. So, Andrew, I would love to hear kind of your perspective on that and maybe stepping away from some of the typical fire service traditions to get more of this technology integrated in. Sure. And just to echo on Bob's comments about ENFERS and even back to what Kevin and Jeff were talking about, we have so much data and a lot of departments are going through accreditation processes now and, you know, really trying to improve their practices and become evidence-based or data-based and informed organizations. But if your data, if you have data integrity issues, if your data is not great, how good are the, de- the decisions you're making at that time? And Samantha, that, I think that goes back to your point or your question about like technology and getting firefighters to adopt these things. Like Bob said, what's the easiest route between A and B? How do I get that report complete? And that was something that we've struggled with here. Uh, The department uh, that I work for had made decisions based on data that was in those reports, and it was based on data analysts looking at it. When I put eyes on it and I thought about that concept of like, look, I know they're just trying to chase the quickest way to completion. Maybe we have to ask some more critical questions and maybe we're missing some pieces here uh, when we just look at you know, ENFERS codes and actions taken. And so that I'm really excited about that part uh, as well with the re- revisions of ENFERS. It's been a long time coming. I think a lot of us in the fire service have been scratching our head asking and waiting for a long time for a change here. But I think now to get our folks to adopt these things and to buy into them, we have to show them how important it is to them and what these data-informed decisions can help us do as a fire service and really get it down to brass tacks for the folks riding backwards. What can all all of this technology do for me, the firefighter? How will it make my job easier? How will it make my job better, safer, uh, more time efficient so that I'm not spending too much time on reports? Um, And how is it gonna help the leadership make better decisions going forward? I think it's something that's got to be done inside every firehouse, your training department, whoever's touching the new recruits, they have to instill that importance right out of the gate. Data is critically important. Report writing is important. And we need this technology uh, to make your job safer and easier. Just to add on to that, I, from what I've heard from Dr. Laura Mormerrill and some other stakeholders at UL that are helping construct the new NERIS, it is changing the narrative on data and the fire service, right? I think a lot of times with EMFERS, it was sort of, oh, I have to do this. Oh, I don't want to do this. Like it's sort of just like a pain where it's sort of like, this is something that is going to be a force multiplier. This is something that is going to save you time. This is something that's going to tie in and help with your health tracking. This is something that's going to save on that time on task. And I think when we can continue to have those conversations that this is saving you time, this is saving you cognitive bandwidth, this is just making your life better on your terms, easier with a couple clicks of the button with stuff integrated, 
think about it with the apps that you use in your phone. You have a couple that you use all the time. And then you have some that you, you try once and then you delete them because they stink. Um, we Neris is hopefully going to get towards that. And I know UL and 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 um and USFA is being are being very intentional about integrating and talking with the fire service. We've had conversations about the, these different expectations uh, in the workforce, and we and we have both. We have like the never adopters of new innovation who, who may sit around and sabotage the next big idea, and then you have those that are hungry for it, and even and agencies that are incredibly progressive. and And I know Kevin, Jeff, I know we've done it, Andrew, where you you seek to find the agencies who are the early adopters. And drive it in and get proof of concept and get them telling the story because firefighters are outstanding storytellers. And if they believe in the in the product, they're going to tell their friends and they tell their friends, their friends are going to want it too. And that's how you know, really, we, I, I, I believe we see a lot of this implementation. But for those early adopters, a challenge that our industry faces is the speed of access from either a regulatory standpoint to get a stamp of approval through the processes that are important. But even the purchasing process, like when was the last time a, a big government, uh, an agency interacts with new technology or a, or a vendor or a product or analytics software, something like a dark horse, and they love it. How long to, to from idea or concept to implementation in a, in a metro department, Jeff, how long would it take for you to come up with a concept, to run it through the budgeting process, to get it through procurement and have it implemented at, at the ground level? When I was when I was there, just to buy a new computer was two and a half years old by the time it actually hit somebody's desk. And I, and I see that as, a, as, as something public safety has to wrestle with on how we can improve speed to implementation because the technology is evolving, uh, evolving quickly. And we must incentivize these these tech companies to continue to invest in public safety. Bob, I'm just going to throw out there. Yeah, you're 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 absolutely right. You asked the question, uh, how how long would it take to seeing a, a fantastic idea and running it through the the budgetary process, getting all the necessary approvals, getting the you know securing the funding, the resources, all the way to execution? It can take years, actually, years actually, and that's you know pretty scary. And that's if no no bumps in the road. I think a piece to that puzzle has to be doing our best to use some of the tools that are at our disposal. Cooperative purchasing source was a great example of that, but they still have challenges in keeping up with the speed of, of technology, like what you're talking about. So if if organizations can use solutions that are in place that are that are already already there and at their disposal, that helps a bit, but there is still this challenge of technology. It is moving so fast and the solutions are, are, are at the fingertips and ready to use right now, but there is, you're right. There's a ton of challenges that exist for agencies in order to adopt. And, and uh, you, you know, some, some of these challenges are, are big and people know about them and they're trying to work on them, but there, there aren't any solutions now. And, and I love your point about this range, the spectrum of behaviors of people that are willing to use this technology and unwilling to use this technology. In my own impressions, I do want to have Andrew jump in here to make sure we get, get his thoughts in this area. You know, I think that there's a fear. You know, this fear of uncertainty, all this cool technology, all this cool data that's coming out. It's supposed to make my life easier. Kevin, you said it. 
It's going to make my life easier. I'm a firefighter. This technology is going to help me. It's going to make me better. It's going to free up more time. But I'm a little bit uncertain. I'm just a little bit concerned that maybe I won't be as important. I maybe is my job in jeopardy here a little bit? Is 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 somehow this going to impact me? And I I feel like that fear is playing a role in adoption of technology. That's so important. But you know that's anecdotal. Andrew, what what, what are your thoughts? How do how do you from an organizational psychologist lens? How do you how do you look at the spectrum of technology, the challenges? And and really kind of juxtapose these challenges with all these huge benefits that are out there. Yeah, I, that's a great question. I feel like if people had the answer to that, they would be selling buckets of books and making buckets of money. <laughs> um, I, there's a lot to unpack there uh, with, with, between some of the things that you brought up and Bob and Kevin. First off, I think, yes, local governments struggle to move, period. Their governments never was never built to be fast. Uh, we're built to move slow so that we're stable. And you know, that does that that creates a lot of restrictions for us. And um, but it doesn't mean we can't innovate. And I think local government has to see themselves as the the one form or the one branch of government that has the ability to innovate better uh, than anybody else because they're close to the public and they're right there at that customer service point kind of on a broader scope of technology and, and how do we integrate these things? How do we validate what works and what doesn't work? The whole public safety arena has not had the level of research done in it uh, that many other areas have. You know, we could go right now to a different uh, academic library and look up very specific constructs in a, in a healthcare environment about change management or or anything for that matter uh, but if we turn it around and try to look at it in a fire service environment I, I can tell you from experience there's just not a lot of, of information out there there's not a lot of research being done um, whether it comes to things from like an organizational perspective or it's coming to things like technology integration and what works and what doesn't and so i think we really do need to lean uh, on the available resources that are out there. FEMA just sent out some great funding resources to get some grant research going. Um, and I think we need to lean into those research opportunities and try to partner with local colleges and universities and find academics who are interested in doing public safety research to help us better understand our industry, better understand um, some of the barriers that we have and things that we can we can do better. Uh, and to create that validated data for us uh, so that we can we're, we're better informed going forward and trying to make these decisions moving on to the next question but andrew we're going to keep it on you the next question we have is the best and worst of 2023 let's hear your thoughts from the organizational psychologist aspect uh-oh i might get in trouble here <laughs> i think i from the, the the best and the worst, you know, it can kind of come in the same form. Uh, one of the things that continues to be a struggle for uh, my field and how it applies to public safety is what I call pop psychology. Uh, people writing about things, and it goes into Firehouse Magazine or Fire Engineering. I don't want to pick on one publication or another. All of those publications are, are equally guilty of, of just allowing things to flow into them. And there's, they're not fact-based. 
They're not evidence-based. There's no research behind it. It's just stuff. And uh, I no better example of this than just recently, there was an article that came out about uh, firefighter life expectancy, early death at, into retirement, and it had very concrete numbers that, you know, everybody, you know, we have this defined life expectancy now and this defined amount of years we're going to live after retirement. And I'm like, where, wh- how, where did you figure this out? <laughs> where is the data? Where is the actual study? And um, and then we turn around and people are using it, whether it's in collective bargaining uh, areas or whatever. We're using these statements that are completely unsupported by by actual research. And so that that is one of the big challenges, I think, for us as an industry, as we try to maintain our credibility is to use validated sources of information. Uh, And then likewise. When great stuff is out there, you know, like like we've talked about with technology, the fire service really isn't quick to adopt things or they're very skeptical. Uh, and so we've seen a, a huge push this year to discuss mental health in public safety. And it's been great uh, to get that attention. But is it the right kind of attention? Uh, and, and are we framing it out properly? And so as it grows into this thing uh, that everybody wants to to make better, I, I think it's a good thing. But I'm also cautiously optimistic or maybe even concerned that we might go down the wrong road uh, just because of the the narrative that gets out there more often than not. Yeah, Andrew, uh, you, you highlight such an important point, and that's the lack of this evidence-based uh, components to areas or aspects of our industry. Because on one hand, you know, the fire service, we project that we're so different than other industries. And in some cases we may be, in others, I'm not convinced we are. So so we sort of reject this notion of what we need to learn from other industries and ours because you know we're we're so different. All right, well what where's the evidence from our industry to substantiate some of these actions or what it is that we want and to your to your point one that comes to mind and I think where we are doing a better job in terms of uh, scholarly research in our field is in some of the health and wellness spaces although your caution to how we're applying or interpreting the results in terms of mental wellness, I think is, is not lost to me. I think that you, you illustrate a good point there Uh, when it comes to the cancers and I think we're lagging in the sleep studies, but I've made my opinion clear on the show before is we're quick, you know, as an industry, because we can latch onto a populist message that comes out in an opinion piece based loosely or not at all on, on any type of a, a scholarly approach to the research is we're seeing advocacy for rapid policy change before we know definitively what the problem and or proposed solutions could be. And the the paradox to that is same thing on the technology thing we were talking about earlier in terms of implementation is true, rigorous, randomized control trials to develop evidence takes a long time. One, to, to do the work and to do it right takes time. And then to get the results published and peer reviewed takes a long time. And boy, fire, we don't have patience. And I don't know how we differ from other industries when it comes to that, but the fire service wants service you know, now. Like that's just how we train ourselves. Everything is an emergency. Everything is resources standing by. We want this. We want this done now. Ever seen a, a fire officer in a station come back and be satisfied that IT is going to take a week and a half to fix the printer? I never, never have I. It was like I, I wrote up the printer this morning. It's lunch. Why is the printer still not, still not working? This is not how the world operates. So I'm concerned about that. I think that's just a, a, a friction in the process to gain 
validation. And, and, we, and we just don't have a history of that being being the respected uh, source of information like the medical profession does. I mean, we don't generally just start doing interventions in the medical world without it having gone through this rigorous processing. But in the fire service, we'll, we'll jump right on that. And the idea that comes to mind to me, you know, we're far more advanced than it was when I was the fire chief and this came up was like, are we doing hot showers after fires or 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 not? And it's like we we went into this, we need a sauna in every station and uh, the nanosecond because one report came out and said, hey, this you know is how you can eliminate toxins. And then on the other hand, I'm reading the, you know, the work that's coming out that's saying, whoa, you're stressing the heart and we're having, you know, the, the, this actually could, it was a hypothesis piece, but it was basically like, this could be causing strain to your heart and causing further heart problems, you know, and now we've got this balance of what should we be doing? But I, but there are, you know, fire chiefs are feeling the pressure of, should we be putting saunas in or not one, you know, from the workforce who's, who's trying to drive that message. But as a fire chief who contemplated that I want to do what's right. And it's hard to hold people back and say, ah, oh, we're just not sure yet. If saunas are the answer, let's put them in, but we're not, we're not sure. I, I beat that up quite a bit, but I think your, your point was really, uh, really good. I got to dovetail in here too, because I know, I know you all are podcasters and I don't know if you're listening to the same stuff that I am, but I'm going to toss it out there. Freakonomics is just an outstanding podcast. Stephen Dubner, an economist, always has cool people on and they're always talking about cool topics and it fits like a glove right here. And what he was talking about recently, I think it was recently, was eminence versus evidence based decision making. We're talking about the world of medicine here. And we're talking about a world that has evolved over time to the point where because you're a doctor and unfortunately, I think we have all gone through this too. medical doctors. We hold to this higher standard and we think that they're omnipotent, all knowing. And the reality is, is that they're human beings. They have they're well intended. There's no doubt about that. But they've made a lot of mistakes over time when they have given their opinion to go down a treatment modality that over time and through evidence is proven to be wrong. So there's this huge problem that exists in the in the medicinal world and, and to the point where up until I think it's around 10 or 15 years ago, there wasn't a one-stop shop until this evolution or beginnings of, I believe it's called the Cochrane Collaboration. Is that right, Andrew? Are you familiar with that? I'm not sure. Okay. Well, it's a, it is a, a, a clearinghouse, a repository for all evidence in, in the medical world. And where I'm going to draw the parallel and dovetail into what you're saying, Andrew, and what you're saying, Bob, is that it's a problem with the fire service now. And we do, you've already said it a million different times and maybe we need to lean in more into to groups like NIST and only accept evidence that's coming out of one place. Let's, let's name one place as a repository where it's vetted, where it's true, where it's scrutinized, where it's scientific. And then we begin to make decisions. And I think that that is a huge problem, but even when there is evidence coming out of a trusted source like NIST, you still have challenges in the fire service with adoption of new firefighting tactics like flow path. That study is, I think, at least a decade old. And then finding those tactics and strategies on the fire grounds from East Coast to West Coast is still a struggle. And uh, I, I could go on from this from a long time. I just wanted to share that I've seen this 
just or heard this very recently in this eminence versus evidence. And we we have to stop doing that. We have to stop following the anecdote of a, a, a populist opinion. It could be someone who's regarded in the industry, but those opinions can be super damaging when all of a sudden everybody adopts it as truth, as fact. And then we find ourselves in yet an, another challenge. So uh, you just really hit a home run there, Andrew. I, I love that conversation, inspiration that you gave from, from that standpoint. To drop my two cents on all this, I come from a family of dermatologists. My my dad's a derm, my, my sister's a derm PA, my brother's a derm PA, my other sister-in-law is a derm PA. So I see a lot of the drug developments within the dermatologist realm. And my dad is, is heavily involved with drugs like psoriasis and eczema, things like that. And you see there's a lot of this work where it's really impressive to see a peer-reviewed scientific effort to take a problem and then put a drug solution in the market. And it, it takes at least a decade to bring something to market. And granted, to really feel 100% with getting a wide, diverse population, that's kind of what you need to get a scientific fact-based approach to is something going to work or not. And so that's just in the nature of our Western society in terms of how we approach bringing something to the market. Um, but nonetheless, even if that happens, as you mentioned, small, large fire department, east-west fire department, everyone is still a little bit different and you still can't just as much as you want to trust the doctors, as much as you want to trust everything, you still need to think critically about what works individually for you as it does the individual on the fire department. And when it comes to health and wellness, from my perspective, and I take a lot from um, Dr. Burt Clark, who wrote the book, American Fire Culture, I'd save you. Um, I'd like to save you, but people die trying. And I know he changed the title, but he talks all about fire service culture. And from what I know about health and wellness, and I apply this to myself, is that it's a hundred little things. It's getting to sleep. It is it is doing the proper workouts. It is eating the proper food. Um, I was at FRI earlier and, and I, I am going to plug this company. I have no alliance or allegiance to them. But when thinking about this was a female, uh, a, the wife of a firefighter and she would get, her, her husband came home and he smelled terrible. He smelled like a fire. And she was like, what the heck? You smell terrible. And he was like, I showered three times. And at that moment, a light went off her head. It was like, what the heck? Like you showered three times with soap. What's the problem? She then did a little bit more research utilizing charcoal and created soot soap, this whole kind of initiative to have activated charcoal, which is heavily used for hundreds of years within water filtration to remove stuff, remove bad stuff, improve taste and odor. And when I looked at that, it was like, wow, this is a very simple tactic that is one of the hundred little things and to me, this all comes to fire service culture, and it starts with the chief. And if the chief embraces his mindset that fire service health and wellness is important, it's like, we should all be going to therapy. I go to therapy. And my therapist always says the, he the healthiest and most confident people are the people sitting in that chair. And I think it's something that we shouldn't demonize therapy. We shouldn't demonize working out. We shouldn't demonize any of these things. And frankly, it's all what's best for you. Um, but I do think it's to a address some of this problem. It's a fire service culture thing. It starts from the top and it just needs to be a conversation where it's, it's okay to have bad days. And I'm not a firefighter, but I've spent hours and days and months all the time with firefighters and I love them and it gets me out of bed in the morning. Um, but I think it's just a matter of being okay to be vulnerable and have those conversations to embrace all these different things about the hundred things that can help the overall fire service health and wellness conversation. 
All right, this has been a great discussion that we're actually going to hit pause on for next week when we're all together again to discuss what the panel is looking forward to in 2024, as well as the biggest challenge and opportunities for the year ahead. So thank you both for joining us today and thank you to our listeners for tuning in. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And if you have a question for the panel, please reach out to us at fireheadlines at wfca.com and let us know what's on your mind. We'll see you back here next week for more Fire Headlines. Fire Headlines.